3: Welcome to In Defense of Ska. Edna's Goldfish were one of the biggest bands in Long Island's late 90s ska scene. The band started in 1994 but broke up in 96. They then reformed in 1997. During this period they released two albums on Moon Records, Before You Knew Better in 1998 and The Elements of Transition in 1999. The video for their song Veronica Sawyer got a few plays on MTV, and for a short stint Major labels wined and dined them. Ultimately, the group broke up in 2000 before any of that could manifest. Our guest today is Brian Diaz, the singer for Edna's Goldfish, who has continued on in his post-Goldfish years with a successful career in music. Since 2003, Brian has been a guitar tech and stage manager for various bands. His two main gigs are with Fallout Boy and Motion City Soundtrack, but he's also worked with bands like Primus and Guns N' Roses. In 2013, he documented several of his tour stories in his book, 1800 Miles to Nowhere.
4: Edna's Goldfish, to me, were the like most unlikely ska friends that I ended up so bonded to through through the crazy tour that we were on that like we got the rug kind of pulled out from under us. Buck 09 was supposed to be the headliner, and they weren't able to do the tour. And so we, we like limped our way back across the United States with Edna's goldfish. And through that, I, I mean, I haven't gotten to see any of these guys in years, but I've, I've stayed in pretty close contact with, with all of them. And I've, and I've followed what Brian's been up to and he's just never stopped. Yeah. He's, he's just been on tour ever since that tour, basically. But he's not he's not playing ska anymore. He's
3: is a gar- guitar tech for really big bands. Guitar
4: tech or, or a bass tech, depending on, on the on the day.
3: What's cool and, and interesting too is that all this stuff he's done, all this all these cool bands that he's been, you know, detecting for, he's online posting all this stuff, all this Edna's goldfish ska stuff. He's just you know, those memories are so important to him and putting that online I think has been something that he's been doing
4: to keep himself sane during the pandemic. And I love that him doing that is pushing ska to parts of the internet and to people's feeds that wouldn't normally be digesting ska. Like I love knowing that like he's friends with like members of Jane's addiction and garbage and that his posts about ska are showing up in their showing up in their feed. That's just amazing. He's doing good work. Yeah. He's doing <laughs> he's doing the work. He's putting the ska, He's putting the ska out there.
3: So if you hear Jane's Addiction throw a little upbeats in their songs,
5: that's where it came from.
4: All right, Brian, how how did you start playing ska?
5: Well, I I feel like you know I I feel like this this is going to be probably a, a common story. Is like I was in high school, and um, you know I was I was in band. I was a, a sax player in, in band, and like there's no there was like at the time no I didn't you know I hadn't played bass yet. I hadn't played guitar. I hadn't picked up any of rock traditional rock and roll instruments. And, uh, you know, we, we, I knew, I knew of ska because there was a few, like, like the scofflaws and, um, the toasters were, you know, they were like kind of like bands that would play local shows. And I was like, you know what? Like I play sax. I'm like, I can play in a ska band
1: <laughs> because it's <this is> the <laughs> only,
5: and it, you know, I hadn't even, I hadn't thought about singing in a band or any of that stuff. And, you know, in, in high school, it was either that, or like, I eventually picked up bass and I did like a couple of punk rock bands or whatever, just like high school making noise kind of things. But the first band, yeah, that I ever took seriously was was my first ska band, and it was playing sax and then eventually singing because our singer at the time left.
3: Oh, so your first band was Edna's Goldfish. My
5: my first ska band, yeah, it was Edna's Goldfish. It was a very it was a very different version of the band that existed from. I would say 1994 to 96. And it was, it was actually a few guys that I met working at McDonald's <laughs> I was working. <laughs> it was like my first job. I mean, I started there when I was like 15 and I met these dudes who live like one or two towns over um, on Long Island. And they had a band that was kind of going through, you know, they had gone through the a transition of they were, playing ska but it was like funk and like maybe it was like weird progressive kind of thing and they you know we're we're flipping flipping burgers one day and uh one of the guys uh actually it was two brothers the the Hackett brothers Jay and Glenn and they were like hey you know Jay was like my brother plays drums I I play guitar do you guys want to come and you want to come jam like you and uh uh Dave Galea who played Uh, Trumpet and Edna's Goldfish as well. He was working at McDonald's and he, he and I ended up playing with these, with the Hackett brothers and uh, their bass player, Chad, and our friend Kevin. And that was the original lineup. And it was a weird uh, funk, proggy. It was like, it was not the band that we became, but um that yeah, that's where that's where it started, ninety-fourish, nineteen
3: ninety-four, ninety-five. I one of the things that came up in my book when I was interviewing bands, so most people associate nineties ska with Orange County, and particularly the the scene of Orange County even before MTV. Um, but one thing that came up in my interviews was Long Island. The Long Island ska scene was Referred to by many people as being this really, really vibrant scene, and particularly into the late '90s and early 2000s, is that what? Do you remember it being that way?
5: It was. It was a lot of it was. There were New York City bands, the 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 New York City ska bands like the Toasters, the Slackers. No, I mean they were all around. I mean Toasters been around forever. Slackers were early '90s, and you know, and then whatever shows were coming through. So like, I had a very like. Everything was focused kind of on those bands and and the Scophlaws, and we were kind of like the young. The, the everyone's like, "Oh, these these like high school kids are playing sky and like we were. I mean, I just found a tape of us from that era, and it was, it was pretty shaky. But uh, I remember like we, we like based on those tapes, like we were you know we'd go open for the Scophlaws or go open for the the Insteps, and then. You know, we we were pl- we were kind of going for a, a more traditional thing at the beginning, and um, yeah, we kind of fell in with some of those like New York City area bands. But also, you know, there was you know there was a scoffalo- the ska. The ska were like the were like that was like premier Long Island ska. You know, but it was weird because like a lot of the a lot of the ska bands that were happening or when we were coming up were were older, and they were mostly like I would say I would consider them like bar bands, I guess, because they they really didn't play outside of, um, they they weren't like aiming for something bigger. And when we, you know, when we started the newer version of the band, you know, a few years later, I I think we, our aim was to get out of that. We were like, we don't want to, I don't want to be pigeonholed into, you know, we're going to be in our, at the time, like, you know, we're going to be in our late twenties and playing in bars we were still pretty young and hungry, but we were like, yeah, we want to do it. Like we want to do tours like for real. Like we want to play in other places, you know, like we loved Long Island obviously, but um, I think it was pretty limiting. Even though there was bands that came out of there, it was just, it seemed really limiting it at the time.
4: I mean, I feel like you have to hit the road at a certain point, especially back then. Otherwise, you know, you, you were never going to do anything. You had to go out.
5: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, th- it's, it was weird. It's like I don't know. See, I don't know what it was like where, where you guys grew up, but like, on um, Long Island seems so disconnected to me from, like, culturally, musically, everything seemed like we didn't have like we didn't have like Kmart or Walmart or so you know what I mean. Like we were like in our own little bubble. So sh- like shit like that to me like, it was like was foreign and our scene seemed like well if you're big on long island why aren't you just big everywhere like people didn't like quite get it and there was a lot of like the pay to play kind of thing and these really shady clubs that were like well you guys are underage so you can you know you can buy a bunch of tickets from us and sell them to your friends and then you got to play it you know one in the afternoon or whatever and it's like i don't know it just it just seemed really like it seemed like an impossible thing to do when you were younger now i look back on it and i'm like I, I'm. I guess there was there was shit like that everywhere. You know, like that wasn't. But it seemed so like the Long Island sucks, man. We got to get out of here. We got to tour. So that was like our motivation to tour. I mean, other bands are just like, yeah, we got to get in front of other people. We can't just keep playing in front of, you know, people in our hometown.
3: Did um did you play with uh, Channel Fifty Nine back in the day? Yeah, we did. Dan Deacon's all band. Yeah, Dan Deacon's all band.
5: Well, you know what's it, there? It's interesting because Channel Fifty Nine came back oh came back came back came around after the yeah they, they were like part of like after the second iteration of Edna's goldfish so they were to us they were like kids you know I know they were they were fun they were like it was like 15 people in that band there was like some was like they were like a fucking orchestra yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny that and that name the channel 59 it comes up every so often because there's a podcast that I listen to uh the complete guide to everything. And not to plug someone else's podcast on here, but... How dare um, you? Uh, Tim, uh, Tim from uh, Channel 59. I think he was the drummer or the guitarist or something. He uh, is one of the hosts of that podcast. And he was also in my second band's music video, oddly enough, which is...
4: Yeah, just strange. Hmm. So, Brian, you said two... You kind of alluded to there being two versions of the band. Like, did you guys break up for a little bit in the middle?
5: Yes, because... Well, it, I went to school briefly in Connecticut. I went to the University of New Haven. I left Long Island. That would have been 90, 95 when I was, no, 94. So I kind of like, we were doing the band, Then it was like, oh, we can only do it certain times. And like, it was just the first iteration of the band was definitely more of a kind of whenever we can do it and sort of like a high school going on to college band level thing. And then in 1997, we, I mean, we had put that band to rest for quite a while. And in 1997, Dave Golia, who was the trumpet player, and Gary Henderson, who was a later second, or one of the other trumpet players, uh, the three of us were kind of like, let's maybe like start the band again, maybe using some of the old songs, write a bunch of new stuff, and find people who want to do this full time. Because we were just like, Okay, let's just do it full time. Let's just see what happens if we just do start touring, quit our quit our jobs when we can, and just you know, just do what you do. Like you just pack up and go on tour. And um, that wasn't something that was interesting, and you know, that wasn't something that the, I, I don't think the guys in the original lineup of the band wanted to do. So we just kind of kept the name, which was it's kind of stupid, but we kept it and <laughs> just went with it, and just did you know just started a new version of the band. Yes, and
3: that's the version that, pe- that people know, most people know.
5: Well, yeah, because I mean, that's the only ones that, that's the only version that really had like a, a an album or, you know, a couple albums out on a label. And like, we actually played outside of like the tri-state area, you know, out of, out of New York. I don't think, I think the furthest away that the first version of Edna's Goldfish played was probably like, I remember we played the tune-in in New Haven, but that's because I was living in New Haven. So I was like, kind of got us a show there. And then I think we might've played like Philly or like New Jersey or something. So we never really went outside of like Long Island, New York city or whatever, but you know, like w- you learn stuff from just from doing that. You know, you learn how to, how to book a show. You learn how to, you, you know, trading shows with people from other States. You just be like, Hey, you come to New York, you can play with us in at at our home turf and, We'll go and play a show with you guys, and wherever you guys are from, you know. So, how how did you
4: guys wind up with the name Edna's Goldfish? Uh,
5: man, <laughs> I, you know, honestly, like it was. So that the the very like again back to the original version of the band, um, the first show we played was. And it was at like at a high school. It wasn't like a talent show. It might've been like a battle of the bands or something, but it was at a high school. And there was like other bands that weren't from that high school. It just happened to be, that's what that's the venue. It was like a high school auditorium. And um, we, we were, they were playing under some name. God, what was the name? I think they were just like, one of the guys like looked at his bank card and was just like, yeah, the name of the band is teachers federal credit union. And that's like what, <laughs> what the name of the band was like they booked it and put it on the flyer that way and i i feel like someone was like no that's stupid and let's name it and and i swear i don't think it meant anything at all but chad the bassist showed up with a drawing i have it somewhere i can email it to you guys it's a drawing of a fish in a fucking like you know like a suit and a pork pie hat and it just said edna's goldfish and he's like this is the name of the band and we're just like what does it mean i don't think it means anything it was just so just pulled it out of his ass it was kind of like at, of the time it was like yeah Trippin' daisy alice in chains edna's goldfish <laughs> like, what does any of it mean i mean like those names probably meant something to those bands but this was like something that i don't think anybody had any attachment to but for whatever reason we just thought second version of the band Keep the name so we can just, you know, continue using our contacts that we already have and whatever. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the reason was. We smoked a lot of weed back then, so <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to remember that was twenty four years ago.
3: You know, it's funny. I was uh, I did this radio interview promoting my book a few months ago, and like there was like eight guys. It was really weird, but a couple of the guys were pretty familiar with ska and like most of them weren't. And, and some of them had negative feelings about ska. But so one of the guys that knew a lot about ska, he started throwing like, you know, I guess weird names of bands yeah. at them. And uh, just, and one of them, he, he was like, Edna's goldfish. And then the guys are like, that's not a real band
5: name. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Uh, yeah, I know, man. I know it's, and it's like one of those things, like, Everyone's like, oh, God, you guys were, you know, you guys were great. I remember going to see you guys and blah, blah, blah. This album meant so much to me. So what's the deal with the name? And you're just like, my <laughs> face just drops like, guys, we have to do this. So, you know, like, we haven't been a band in 20-something years. Like, just let it. It was just, it was up the time. It was dumb and, like, I don't know. You know what? As dumb as it was, I'm just glad we didn't resort to a scop Hun name. Um, yeah, you, you you made it out pretty good. Yeah. Like we came out unscathed. We never had a, we never really had a, I don't think we had any Scott pun names, even in the original lineup. Like we didn't do any of that for like song titles or no, no weird. Like we weren't all wearing matching suits and ties. Like we were just never really took on the, um, the aesthetic like that. We were just like dudes. And it's funny. Cause like, <laughs> I, I, I'm actually just, I'm actually like, in the pro, like I said, I was in the process of like transferring all these VHS tapes and I found one of us playing at um at Skater's World in Wayne, New Jersey in 1998. And it's you know, we we're on tour with Animal Chin and and Siren Six. And like Siren Six definitely had like a look, you know, they were they're were like, oh, we're the the mod, black, all black, like super hip, we live in Hollywood now, kind of they had that vibe. And uh, Animal Chin was just like, you know, just they were kind of just dudes, but they had a look, they look like rockers. And then I'm looking at us on stage, like six, seven dudes that are just like mismatched, you know? And I was like, maybe I'm like, maybe something about that spoke to people. Maybe that they looked at that And they like, they saw us and they were like, Hey, we're all mismatched too. You know, we're all, we're all kind of just don't, we all don't
4: go together. But My favorite part about that description is is Vinny looked like he was in Siren 6.
5: Yeah, everyone had everyone. All, was are all
4: black and he had the shaggy kind of haircut like they did. It,
5: seriously, like I would say that we look like seven people who dressed for to be like, you know, they say like dress for the job that you want. I feel like we were all dressing to be in, to try to be in the band that we wanted to be in. And I was like, <laughs> I I want to be in Snapcase. And like Dave Glee, wanted to be in Promise Ring. And, you know, like. I think, you know, Dave Ringel, our bass player, wanted to be in like Third Eye Blind or something. You know what I mean? It was just like everyone was dressing for the gig that they wanted. Um, yeah, we kind of, I, I, I look at that and I'm like, man, I wish we would have had someone kind of just hold our hands for a second and just be like, guys, you can at least get your look together a little bit. <laughs> we just look like <laughs> we rolled out of our houses and just got in a van and went to the gig. It was very strange.
4: so i met you guys when link 80 toured with you and we were touring with uh bucko nine the uh we were supposed to tour with bucko nine or right so did you guys join the tour the day that they had to stop
5: yeah i feel like i feel like you guys had started already without us and we were not i don't think we were supposed to even be on the whole thing and we you know that was like kind of like our mo we were always like on pieces of tours so we probably got like a like the west coast piece of this tour or whatever you know whatever wherever we went because actually I don't even remember did we do like the Midwest did we do the East Coast
4: yeah we did like the Midwest all the way back out to um
5: okay we didn't do the we wouldn't have done the East Coast though I don't I don't think you guys were out there I mean I think we did we I'm pretty sure we played wetlands with you guys I mean I I can I, I know for a fact we played Flagstaff, Arizona. <laughs> no, I I don't know why yeah. that one what, sticks do you out in my the mind.
4: Flagstaff show.
5: I mean, I was probably the most stoned I've ever been in my life. But what I do remember <laughs> is that we stayed at that. I mean, I have photos from that night. I have like actual printed, you know, photos I got from Photomat. Uh, it's like there we stayed at that the hotel in that. Venue. It was like a hotel attached to it. And our van was parked outside. It was snowing. Um, our van was parked out there with the trailer. And it got towed. And I had to go about 15 miles outside of Flagstaff to retrieve our van. And when I got it back, it was pouring out transmission fluid. Oh, so whoever man. towed it just fucking wrecked our van. And that was like the beginning of a lot, like many decades of... Van issues in my life that just like it's like was like a fucking curse. Flagstaff, Arizona. I'll never forget that. It was the first time I really (laughs) encountered that, and we were like, "Oh God, this is going to cost us
4: a lot of money to fix." Yeah. Oh, that was that was where Bucko and I actually tried to meet back up with us. I think.
5: I think so too. Yeah, and we we did meet up with them, and we I mean we did we played the belly up. I remember that. Yeah. Um, I got a drinking ticket in the parking
4: lot there. That was my. I have like a lot of good uh, negative memories from things. I mean, that was a that was a pretty pretty hard tour to do. I mean, because the they pulled the headliner out from you know underneath us because the basement. But you good. know what? Kudos to us for all. <laughs> stick, stick. We were like, fuck it.
5: Like, I feel like whoever was booking us at the time probably like. I feel like it was an Ariel. I don't remember who it was, but they were like, you should. You guys probably should just not do it. Like, why would you go all the way? Why would you go out there and just you guys play? And I'm like, well, because us and Link80 together will draw, you know, instead of drawing 300 people or whatever it was at the time, like maybe we'll draw 150. I don't know. Like we don't know until we do it, you know? And that was kind of like always our, I guess our attitude was, it doesn't matter. Like it's not the five people who showed up. It's not their fault that another 500 didn't show up. Like, Five people came. Like, go there and play a show for them. They wanted to see this. Like,
4: do you the thing. craziest thing to me was that show that got that where the bass player had to be had to go to the hospital from Bucko Nine?
3: What happened with the with the bass player?
4: So he collapsed backstage, and Whoa. just blood started coming out of his butt. Um, yeah, right, so I think he had some sort of intestinal issue going on. So it just sort of like
3: hit him like, like that. Yeah. He
4: he was feeling kind of pale and weak. And then they went, they were backstage and I wasn't back there. I was talking to whoever the opening band was. And um, I think they're called like the Berlin project or something, maybe the Berlin
5: project. God, that was a, that was a Pittsburgh man. I remember that. Yeah.
4: That, that would make sense. Cause we were in, we were in Pittsburgh and, uh, and then somebody just came out and was like, dude, the bass player from Bucko nine just like keeled over. And so they called an ambulance and I remember thinking we were of the mentality where, like, I was really surprised one of our bass players didn't just, like, start learning their songs. <laughs> like, I was really surprised Chris or, or Adam didn't just, like, okay, well, let's just figure out as many of your songs as we can. Oh, yeah.
5: Did you, did you guys do, like, a, a weird thing where you, like, had due to switched instruments or something?
4: Why am I vaguely remembering this? like? Well, we would do that at the end of our set. But, I mean, we we were the type of people where – we would just make the best of of
5: yeah and then
4: i remember they just they just pulled the plug on the show i think one of our guys got into like a screaming match with the promoter because there was a line like there was a huge line of kids outside and they just like nope show's canceled and then so we like hustled our merch downstairs and tried to like sell some t-shirts we'd have gas money and like i just remember it just i have one picture from that show and it's just like a like a blurry picture of an ambulance driving away. Man, that is super crazy. And you know what's,
5: so what's crazy is that like, like I said, like we would have still been like, all right, let's cobble something together. But I do feel like if we had witnessed all of that firsthand, we would have been like, "Eh, we're in Pittsburgh right now. It's only a seven hour drive back home. We could probably just, we could probably just call it a day, but I don't know. I, I, I just feel like there was, like you have this responsibility once you're once you're like, um, at least back then. I I I you know I'd say later on you start realizing like ah oh, maybe it's not the best idea. But at the time you are just like man we we have a responsibility. To these people they wanted to see us play. They they're gonna drive out to see it. We're gonna we're gonna meet them there. You know like I don't know like it just seemed like there was not nothing, nothing to lose. You know yeah so.
4: In defense of Ska will return in a moment.
5: Hey, everybody.
2: It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away
0: two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they
1: include camping.
0: Russ, how do people get qualified?
1: We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call
2: 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast.
4: Thanks. Uh, So what I I mostly remember about the rest of that tour is I remember watching you guys play every show and and waiting for you to play Veronica Sawyer. Uh The the Friday Night Saturday song, right? Such a good chorus. Like such a awesome oh, catchy thanks. chorus but then in the bridge you would always ad-lib somebody else's song
5: oh that's actually no that was actually a different song that's oh on, was uh, it yeah that's on uh this is not here was uh that's when i would do the uh i would do the the ad-lib i had a, a whole staple i'm actually one, the one that i just the one that i just uh transferred i uh did uh girls by beastie boys <laughs> so, like i would do like a blink 182 song or i
4: do uh <laughs> or do a third eye blind song probably probably for my bass player i'm pretty sure you did animal chin at one point
5: oh i'm um, fr- probably yeah we were pretty stuck on those on those records like we listened to that that was a big you know like a top 10 van uh record we were just like all right who's driving like i right, put the animal chin cd on you know just the what, pull it out of the book of cds that's on the floor somewhere
4: they were such a good band i'm I'm really upset that they're like one of the ska punk bands that like has kind of fallen off the radar of a lot of people.
5: You know, it it it's interesting to you, like I um so, you know, my current job is, you know, I work I work for bands and I one of the bands I work for is fall Out Way. And uh Patrick, the singer, is a huge Animal Chin fan and a huge fan of the stereo. Just he's just a huge Jamie Wolford fan. And if you listen to his vocals, like you can hear, you know, you can hear his, the influence. Oh, you can hear
4: them. Jamie in there a ton.
5: Always, dude, when you give him a guitar and he's out there just noodling or whatever, he'll play, he'll play Animal Chin songs. The other, like, I would say the other day, but like a few weeks ago, we did a live stream thing. And he was, uh, you know, the the band was out of the room. It's just him like, you know, just noodling around and singing and me and him were we were playing we were playing animal chin songs he's just like he plays a what's that one song it's like a
4: what a scene what a mess yeah it's a he, sex song sex that's so, song. yeah, yeah. He, um, that's
5: like, like he he'll like patrick will warm up with that like he'll sing that or he'll sing um uh, or bleed he plays that one all of that riff gets played and I, it's funny because like whenever he does it i'll be like you know i'll i'll hit up jamie and just be like yep he's doing it again i'm like here we're at madison square garden and uh uh your songs your songs being played on stage patrick's uh singing bleed right now (laughs) you know like it's just funny how like that's carried over it's like oh here's this like top 40 you know (laughs) you know band and like their their roots are in that
4: i mean yeah all those guys came up in the same scene that we all
5: yeah oh totally and like you know, so I was listening to the stereo. I got into the stereo thing the other day. I was just like in my car listening to it. And there was a song, uh, Can't Look Back, that to me sounded like it was like the missing link between Animal Chin and the stereo. It was like you could hear the moment where they clicked over from like the punkier Animal Chin stuff to like the pop rock stereo thing. And I was yeah. like, God, this it's like so crazy to like hear that progression, you know? to hear that like change but it's cool i mean whatever it's evolving i love that band though
4: jeremy tapiro right yeah, yeah. He, was in, he was in animal chin now he's in soul asylum oh
5: yeah that's like <laughs> the, i think the the weird thing too is that he started off as like a um he started off as a tech or like he was like a guitar tech for them and now he's just like plays in the band
4: which is, you know, my my first time out of tour with out on tour with Link 80, we played in Utah with Animal Chin and they mm-hmm. were four piece with Jeremy. And they were not getting along with Jeremy at all because he was just like a little shit. And and then eventually they kicked him out. And do you remember the they had press photos and Jeremy was in the press photo and they it was like an early Photoshop job where they like cut him out of it. Oh, <laughs> <damn>. <laughs> so harsh. This is the Animal Chin podcast, right? Yeah, okay. yeah right. Yeah. Um, also, Link Eighty at the at the end of when we were a band for like the last year of the band, we were covering. Make no mistake. Oh, like, nice. We would play it like every set.
5: Oh well, people- I, there's yeah, there's there's one thing that we 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 accidentally uh, uh, covered an Animal Chin song by just writing a song that just ripped off one of their riffs. Like we must have been around them so much that we like subconsciously were like playing this song like playing this riff. I'm like, all right, whatever. And, and (laughs) I listened to it today and I'm like, holy shit. This is just, this is literally just an animal shit song.
4: (laughs) I mean, there's, there's worse bands to rip off. I mean, it was just, I I remember like, so it it was that
5: same show at at skaters world where we played with, with them. And we, you know, we played the song there and and they're, they're there. Like, and I remember like after the show, Jamie was like, you know, that that's, um, God, I forget what to uh, tell. Uh, tell me what it means. It's a sym- a same riff, and I'm like, "How the hell did we like write this song and not realize it was like the exact same riff?" Uh, we didn't play it very much, but it's pretty funny to find a recording of it because we never. I mean, we uh, obviously we never like went to a studio and recorded it. We just did it. <clears throat> Excuse me. We just did it and uh, live a few times.
4: What do you remember about um, that? The end of that tour.
5: Well, I remember it was the the end of it. We, it was around Thanksgiving. And, uh, it was we, on
4: Thanksgiving. It was on that. Was it, was that the last day? Do we have other shows? Yeah. I, no, that was the last day. That was, yeah. We had You guys things. still had to drive back home, but.
5: So, okay. So someone lived, this was in, this took place in like Orange County. Was that, it was is in, that correct? It was
4: in uh, Corona. It was uh, Gordo, our, our roadie. Was it in Corona?
5: Oh my God. I, I, see now, now that I live out here, I'm like, that's where we were. I was, yeah. Like every time I like something from my past comes up, like the first time I like the first time I went to, to like uh like chain reaction after not, you know, when I first moved back, when I first moved here, I was like, wait, I'm like chain reactions this far away. I didn't realize how like annoying I was being when I asked my friends who lived in LA to come to, <laughs> to come to Anaheim to see my band.
4: In this dumb strip mall.
5: Yeah, and it's super weird. Also, just a total side note, not to sidetrack, there was something that went down there, like um, right next door is that furniture store. Yeah. There was a huge gambling bus there. Apparently, they were running like an illegal gambling thing out of there. Oh, no shit. All these news clips, there's like, like 60, 70 people like handcuffed in a parking lot in front of Chain Reaction. It's insane. I just saw this, like. A couple, uh, a couple hours ago, someone posted it on, on uh, Instagram and I'm like, no fucking
4: way. Like that was going on in Vince Pellegni's old office. That makes so much sense because that, that furniture store was such a front. Like I, I went in there before shows and, and they would like chase, they chased me out. <laughs> they're like, they're like, can we help you? I was like, no, I'm just killing time. And they're like, well, and I was like, okay. And I like bounced.
5: So That's Corona, dude. So I, okay, so we we spent. I, I did, didn't even realize we were in Corona. Either way, um, wait,
4: were we in Corona because we played the showcase? No, we played somewhere down in San Diego. It was just because Gordo lived there. It, we, the, we didn't play the showcase that time.
5: Okay, so yeah, so we, yeah, we went there and uh, the one person who cooked the t- turkey dinner for everybody <laughs> was a goddamn vegetarian. Our guitar player. Vinny. Oh, really? Yeah, Vinny. Vinny cooked for everybody. He didn't even eat turkey. He made a, he made this feast for a bunch of stoner dudes that are like. All, I remember we watched Mister Bill, and we're like watching all these like old Saturday Night Live clips that were probably on like a DVD or something.
4: Well, no, I remember we we had to go. We had to find the only video store that was open that we could actually rent a VHS. Yeah. A v- oh yeah. Oh my God. That's so crazy. Because, because Gordo <laughs> didn't have a VCR. And then I can't remember what movie we watched, but I just remember everybody was so stoned and so full of turkey that like nobody could even stay awake.
5: No, I, I mean, I was like, I remember laying on, on the floor, just like face down, like my hand, like <laughs> trying, to, trying to prop my, my hands up, my head up on my hands. And Vinny, you know, Vinny, didn't smoke weed. And I don't think he was, I mean, he was drinking at the time, but uh, he, I mean, he probably still does. But like, I I just think he just was sober that day. And we were the only, you know, he was the only one that could drive our van. Yeah. And it was like, after, it was like after dinner, like whatever. And we, we needed to get, we had to go to LA for whatever reasons we did not we did not stay the night there. Uh-huh or maybe we did no no we no, did you stay, guys had
4: you guys must have spent the, there's no way anybody drove out yeah of we anymore. we okay I,
5: I this is what it was we we spent the we spent the night and the next morning we were like getting ready to leave to go wherever where we have to go and i stuck i i remember this expression i remember gordo saying this and he's like you're going to leave now he's like woo he's like the five is going to be jumping right now <laughs> like it's <laughs> like talking about the traffic and i swear to god every time i'm on the five now and there's traffic i just think of him being like "Woo, the five's gonna be jumping the, be jumping. the way he said it he just like shook his head and like probably was you know i was like you know that morning or whatever like we're eating breakfast whatever we're doing and just like looking at us like oh man you guys are you guys are in for it and it was fucking like three hours of traffic to get to la uh it was just like a gnarly and now i live here and i'm like
4: God, I would never, I, like would never do any of any of that. I just remember that that Thanksgiving dinner, just like being like the perfect example of just the camaraderie of like dudes and ska bands. Like I forever feel bonded to you guys like brothers because of like like one that like whole bullshit tour where like shows were getting canceled and like you know the bills were all fucked up because. We we're down a band, and just soldiering through that, and then just having this awesome like bro down at Gordo's, like Venny cooking all this food, and just looking over at David galia and he's like, like crashed out on the floor, like his, shirt kind of up, eyes, tummy yeah. tummy sticking out, like
5: his eyes are just beat red, and just all of feet. us just be, oh, <laughs> it just yeah,
4: all of our like all the guys in our bands who smoke weed just getting so so fucking loaded
5: you know, from an outsider's perspective, they'd see that and be like, oh man, I can't believe you like, oh, that sucks. Like, well, you know, your, your headliner canceled, you know, all the, the negative things. And we were just kind of like, I don't know, like we went out and did it. Like, it was fine. <laughs> like, I mean, was it, did we play to thousands of people every night? Well, you know, like the headliner who was at the time blowing up, like, mm-hmm. of course it would have been awesome to, to be part of that, but it wasn't. And instead we had, a different experience that maybe, you know, brought us closer to other people or, you know, taught us really taught us about persevering through that kind of um, sort of a letdown, you know, but in the end you, you make, you make friends and here we are 20 years later talking about it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it would have been less remarkable if we had been on a big tour where everyone just kind of just did their own thing, you yeah. know, and like I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it would have been that, that kind of feeling. Like, I've been on those kind of mid to big bigger tours now, and a lot of the bands. I mean, at least in this day and age, they everyone keeps it themselves. You know, everyone's in their dressing room or in their, you know, their bus or whatever. And like, it's not a whole lot of interaction. And like in this scenario, we were like forced interaction. Like, there was nowhere to go. We were just like drive to the venue, <laughs> play the play the show, and you know, hope people came out and you know decided to come anyway even though the headliner wasn't there and
4: how did you guys get home home after that tour we drove just straight home no shows
5: um i'd have to look at the the show history list i i guarantee we played some shows on the way back like no way i mean but we i will say there were times we did do the drive like i've done it many times la to new york new york to la or New wow. York to Florida, whatever, start a tour fucking 2,000, 3,000 miles away. And that was just like, well, if we want to do this tour, this is how we're going to do it. Or this is how we're going to get home from it.
4: So what, what year did you guys stop doing uh, Edna's? Uh, 2000, 2000.
5: It would, yeah. The last show was in October of 2000, like shh, a little after my
4: birthday. Like, was it 12? just like a conscious decision to stop doing it or?
5: Um. Yeah. Like, we, the very last tour that we did was the summer of 2000. And then we had like a couple of spotty shows in between, you know, the end of that tour and October. And I, I think at the end of that tour, we had already started kind of drifting apart as to like what we wanted to do. And I, I was like, you know, in 2000, I was 24 years old. So I was like, well, I want to. I'm going to continue being in a band, you know? And Dave Galea was like, I don't think he want, he wanted to be involved in music, but he would self-admittedly is like, yeah, I'm not a, a great musician. Like I doesn't, you know, I play a trumpet, you know, I'm like, not very good at it. <laughs> and and uh, you know, like I said, self-admittedly. Um, and he, you know, he was kind of just like started working at the agency group, which is, was our booking agency at the time. So his interests were going there. Um, Mike our drummer I think was kind of over it and I don't know people just kind of got over it at some point you just you know and um, there was a there was a time to towards the end where I I think Dave and I were getting on each other's nerves and dude I've known that I've known Dave since I was eight years old so I don't like at the time it, it was like really it was really upsetting me that we were kind of Getting on each other about stuff, and I was kind of like being difficult, and he was being difficult. And I I I don't remember the details of it, but I just remember it just being like I don't know, we we're just burnt out. We toured a lot, and there was a short period too where we were like, there was like major labels after us. So a lot of that just takes its toll, and it takes its toll fast, you know.
4: We'll be right back
2: after this.
3: I want to actually, I want to take a step back. I want to ask about Veronica Sawyer. Okay. I would love to know um story behind, you know, where the song came from.
5: Um, well, you, I mean, you're familiar with the character of Veronica Sawyer? Yeah, yeah.
3: I, I know this character. I'm curious what kind of motivated you to write the song.
5: Um, well, I mean, the song itself was kind of just about like that sort of being shut out of, just being shut out of an, uh, a a normal experience when you're into something that's a little different. So you're like, you know, I'm into punk rock or I'm into, I don't know. I'm not into going to the, I wasn't into going to the football game or the hanging out behind the, the public pools and drinking with the rest of whoever, you know, whoever was in my town and that the memory of that and like, kind of always just looking forward to weekends in a, in a suburban town where there was, you know, Long Island's just, you know, it's just miles and miles of just strip mall suburbs and, like, nothing to do. You drive, just get in your car, drive around, smoke cigarettes, listen to music. And for me, because I was into punk rock and hardcore or whatever, Saturdays and Sundays was the days that we were looking, we'd look forward to because we were, you know, that's when we would, I would get to do what I, I wanted to do. I wanted I wanted to go see... The you know the hardcore bands and the punk rock bands and like be around other like minded people who weren't from my hometown who all kind of descended upon one place and like I know it's like a stretch because it was like oh Veronica Sawyer is this character in this movie that's about you know the suburbs and kind of being an outcast and like bonding with a you know Christian Slater or whatever over (laughs) killing over killing their classmates like maybe that's a little it's a stretch but like she represented to me like uh, that suburban character who's torn between the world of the cool kids and then the not so cool, you know, kind of thing. But that's kind of, I mean, that's a, like what the, you know, in a nutshell what it was about. Cause like, you know, I, I, I feel like we all had that existence we were like everybody in our, in my band all grew up in different besides me and Dave glia all grew up in different towns on Long Island and all had this same existence. Like we were all, found each other because we all gravitated towards this music scene that as a high school kid only takes place on the weekends. It only takes place from Friday to Sunday, you know, and then you're back to your normal life the rest of the week, you know, driving in circles or whatever, you know,
3: did the the song idea come, were you watching Heather's? And then like, I mean, Heather's is my
5: favorite movie probably of all that that was one of my favorite movies. Walk that back a little. And I just, for whatever reason, it was also like my, my weird thing. I was like, hey, maybe if I name this song Veronica Sawyer, like somehow Winona Ryder will hear about it. and I'll beat Winona Ryder. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, that was like the law. that's the stretch. But no, I mean, it, it, it was at the time, probably something that I was watching, and, uh, you know, and I wrote the song and instead of just calling it the Friday night, Saturday, Sunday song, I was like, let's give it a, you know, we were into the whole like, let's name the song something that's not in the chorus or, you know. She's trying to be difficult
4: always. Yeah, that always drove me drove me crazy about that song because I was like, "That's the Friday night Saturday."
5: I know, and like that's the that's the. There's so many dumb things. Starting with our name was the dumbest decision to keep that name, Edna's goldfish, stupid. Uh, <laughs> then naming this naming the song Veronica Sawyer difficult to find. Um, the first song in our first record. People always call it, I'm your destiny, but it's, I'm your density, which is a quote (laughs) from back to the future. And it invariably will end up on play. I mean, we're talking about people who played this on the radio, on like whatever college radio, like looking at the CD cover and then typing out, I'm your destiny on the, to the point where I have it registered for my songwriting credit, my song, like my publishing, it's registered both ways because it gets misspelled so much, like I need to be able to track it.
3: You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you started getting major labels sniffing around after the release of your second album,
5: or what? After the Actually, after the first record... Um, wait, was it after the first? No, it would it actually would have been the second record. It was like right when the second record came out, because we were on Moon Records yeah. proper at that point, because we had started on Ska Satellite, which was... I don't. I, to be honest, I don't remember what the difference was. I think it was just less of a less budget, and you um the CDs were cheaper or whatever. It was less. You know, it was just less budget to do whatever. And we didn't really. We were like, whatever. We tour. We do our thing. Yeah, we were on we were on Moon, and you know that had a little wider of a reach, and that the video for Veronica Sawyer ended up on MTV, which I. And, you know, and it got played a couple of times, like 120 minutes or whatever. And that caught the attention of some people who are, man- you know, our manager at the time, uh, Peter, he, he had he had been kind of working the thing. But the first person that really caught the attention of was Craig Kalman at Atlantic Records, who I'm pretty sure he's like, you know, he's like a president at, at Atlantic now. And he, I remember him flying out to St. Louis. We were playing at not the creepy crawl, not the uh, the galaxy. We were playing yeah. with the we were playing with the urge, and um, oh, we, had, urge. we had yeah yeah we had a night off uh, the night before, and he took us out to this crazy dinner where like all this food. So just, I mean, keep in mind we're like seven dudes living in a van just shitty dirty you know for a lot you know just punk rock kind of dudes living in this van like we're eating mcdonald's every day and whatever and this dude is like getting bottles of wine i don't i think i I was like i don't even know if i'd ever had wine at that point like i was just like you know it was just real it felt really overly fancy and like he was kind of remember him like Lean back in his chair, kind of just like, so what do you know? What do you guys want to do? And like, what's, you know, what what do you think? Where do you think this is going? And like, I just remember looking at this plate of food that was in front of me, and it was like these little these little white bits of something. And I was like, I couldn't concentrate on what he was saying. I was also probably pretty stoned, but I was like, what? I was like, what is this? And he's like, it's shark. And I'm like, thinking, I'm like, man, what i just got out of this van with these dudes like and like i'm stoned i'm like this guy's giving us free shark it was just it was was so so weird like everything about it was so strange and that was like you know there was that guy there was another someone else from like maverick records which was like was madonna's label i I don't know that i don't know what it became i think it became a inner scope or whatever but uh yeah it was like these random people would come around they like they'd hang around for a bit and then realize that we were like for the most part weren't interested i don't know like i personally was like man if i can make a living out of this and these and this is the people who need to pay me like fuck it i'll do it but i think overall the vibe was kind of like i don't know we don't know how long this is gonna last like why why would we sign our lives away to to this thing, and then we'll feel indebted to it? And I don't know. It was just a, it was weird. It's it's hard to say why we didn't do it, but it definitely happened. It was like Atlantic, MCA, and uh,
3: huh. So it wasn't like a hard no, so much as a kind of a, a, a passive.
5: Yeah, like it, it kind of fizzled out. I remember we did we did record um, we recorded three songs for. Um, I want to say it was MCA we recorded the, we went to some like really nice studio, but we only had like a day to demo three songs that they were going to have someone come in and like kind of direct us a little, like produce, you know, we never really had besides Buck being, you know, Buck from the Toaster is like producing us, which is really, he was in there just, you know, making sure we we're getting the right takes and whatever, but not someone coming in and being like, why don't you try this with, you know, why don't you do this kind of arrangement? And I'm just like, the singer so I'm like, I don't know I don't care like tell me what when do you want what part do you want me to sing over you know it was just like a weird vibe
3: do you know what kind of suggestions he was making to kind of like uh slick you guys
5: up it was I think it was a more of an arrangement kind of thing where he was like well this song would be and I, I you know and in retrospect now knowing what I know like maybe they were right you know maybe this maybe this guy was a hit maker I have no idea who. I I wish I could remember who it was who came in and was like, "Well, why don't you try making the bridge half as long and cut out one of the verses. And I'm just kind of like, whatever, like this is free studio time. So we're just going to go in there and bang out three songs really quick. I don't even know who has possession of those at this point. I'm sure the label has them somewhere in a vault. Like they just like some demo (laughs) session we did, you know, and they were trying to, you know, I think the ultimate goal at the time was they were going to try to buy us out of our moon contract. And they very well could have done it because it was like, you know, at the time those labels had just fuck you money, you know, you just come walked up to Buck with a suitcase full of money and said, we are taking these guys right now. And, you know, they came to our shows and like would hang around and then eventually it kind of fizzled out. And I think our manager probably thought we were being really difficult because we were just like, I don't know, we weren't ready for that. We weren't, weren't interested in it.
3: Do you think, I'm curious, I know there was a a major label scoffering, you know, thing going on. Did you feel like you were just part of that or did did it feel like?
5: A thousand percent.
3: It wasn't like you you felt like you guys had something that they were really focusing on, like songwriting or vocals or anything like that?
5: Well, they really wanted Veronica Sawyer. They wanted that song. They wanted, because that is definitely one of the songs we re-recorded for them. And I think they wanted somehow to buy them out of that and get that out as a single somehow um this is my speculation i have no idea so just just like 20 years on this is what i think but um they i you know they they wanted that they at the time real big fish had already broken they were starting to um make some serious like movement um mighty mighty boston's already The impression i get was out i mean we had played with them at that point, you know, and they were like that. Were like the first like rock star band that like ska band that we had been around. Um, Yeah, it was crazy. It was like it was wild. So like that was happening, and at the same time, we we're just like, yeah, if it's us, it's us. If not, like this can all go away. And it was already like start- I feel like it was already starting to wind down because that was like '99.
3: Yeah, it was definitely winding down in '99 for sure.
5: Yeah, like uh, like the craze of like trying to sign all these bands like that was going away, and you know, we were like, well, we can catch the tail end of this or, you know, and I think some of the bands that did catch the tail end of it and still have like a, a super lengthy career because it just kept going on like like a like a Less Than Jake, right? Less Than Jake signed to Capitol. I mean, th- their, their existence on Capitol, I don't, it didn't propel them to like um, Mighty Mighty Boston's fame. But now if you think about the longevity of their careers, I mean, those are bands that like now are, they're, they're equals. They're, they're, you know, one from one, one being a mega star for like a minute and then kind of everyone, everything leveling off, you
3: know? Well, Lesson Jake actually kind of had a pretty big song, but it was like in 2002.
5: Right. And it was like, it was like way after the, the feeding. kind fans, of a reg- you know? reggae song. I can't remember its title off the top of my head. And honestly, like, wasn't actually... Losing streak was on Capital, and that was in, yeah. like '96 or something like that. So yeah, like they yeah. were they were early on in the thing. I feel like '97 was like the year when everybody was getting looked at. I mean, yeah, '97 was definitely was, the year.
3: Yeah,
5: that was the year that our first record came out. So like there was a there was buzz about it, and then people were like, "Well, let's see what happens when they do their next record," and then it had Veronica Sawyer, and that's what I think the labels were finally like, okay we, this is the tail end of it, but we kind of want these guys, you know, we want to try to get these guys involved somehow. And I'm like, retrospect, man, I wish they would have just offered us like, <laughs> they were like, well, can we sweeten the deal with like a cool tour or something? You know what I mean? Like we didn't care about dinners and whatever else we just wanted. We wanted to just play. Like, that's all we want to do is like, let's just, we're constantly like booking tours, constantly booking shows. Like we just never gave ourselves a break, you know?
3: Yeah, Veronica Sawyer though too. I mean, it doesn't sound super ska either, so it could have really translated into that sort of post-ska. Um uh,
5: you've not heard the demo version then. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> there, there does exist a demo version that's um less rockin'. And oddly enough, when we went into the studio to record that for Moon Records, um we I mean even the even when we I see those videos of us playing it in like 98, we were still playing it with a very was you know all upstroke guitars and little little more skyish and then we got to the studio and Buck actually was like why don't you just throw you know throw some overdrive on that guitar and kind of let it rip.
3: He's like God, enough with the sky,
5: Jesus. I mean, even the guy from that toaster says to turn on the overdrive. Vinny was like, I, I I think he like ran over to his pedal and just like clicked it on. I was like, all right, let's do this, you know. And then it just became a, you know, rock thing, which is cool. I mean, like that finally became like, that was a, the moment where we were like, okay, this is where we need to be. If we're going to continue evolving as a band, if we're going to do this, if I'm going to, I was like, if I'm going to do this for another, however many years, like I want to go in this direction. I want to go backwards. I want to go, I want to evolve, you know?
3: The, uh, the video for Veronica Sawyer, um, tell me, was there any, uh, any cameos, any, uh, you know, other band? Who who who, is, who is in the shoot? Like
5: oh, um, all of Animal Chin. Well, the thing is, we were on tour with. Oh, I'm sorry, not Animal Chin. What am I saying? All of the Stereo, because we were on tour with the Stereo and Slow Gherkin. So all of Slow Gherkin. Slow Gherkin's in the video. Mo- most of them are, yeah. Um, oh, I have to actually, rewatch. I
3: just watched it before and I didn't see them. I have to look closely.
5: Ali, the drummer. I don't. I mean, I actually don't. I mean, he was the drummer at the time. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the lineup was in 1998 or nine, whenever that video was shot, um, what they were in it. James Rickman's in it. Um, Ollie. Uh, Ross is in a scene in a bathroom, I think. Uh, Pilfers are in it. Uh, Step lively. Ugh, shit, there's so there's so many like, and you know what it was because like it was shot at an actual show. Um. This place called OLV, Our Lady of Victory. It was um a, just a school church auditorium that let us put on a, a thing called Superfest. Our our trumpet player Gary Henderson, uh, was booking shows at the time, and he was like, I want to book this like twelve band festival, and he had six bands in like a smaller like cafeteria, and then like the main stage, quote unquote, in the auditorium. And while this was going on. All day long, we were shooting a video in the halls of the school and on the grounds of the school. Oh, wow. And in the classrooms and stuff.
4: It looks so good.
5: <laughs> it was shot in like, however many, like eight hours of us starting in the morning. The very first scenes in, in, the, in the thing, it's like, it has this pep rally banner that's up. And then you see Ollie on a skateboard. You see the dudes from the stereo walking in, Jeremy Tapero's in it. Yeah, man, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like now I I look back and I'm like god, I'm like and we're all like kids, you know. And uh the Step Lively guys are in it. And that actually became the you know, Mark and Scully were in my next band reunion show. Um but at the time that you know, Scully was in a band called the Lightweights and, and and Step Lively and they played yeah, they played super fast.
4: It's crazy. So when you started the reunion show I mean, it's it's a definite departure away from playing ska. At the end of Edna's, like, how were you guys feeling? Pretty burnt on playing ska. Um, I mean, for me personally, I didn't care. I was like, I just want to play whatever. I just like playing
5: music. I've yeah. played music, you know, as long as I can remember. And I was like, well, I'm gonna sing or I'm gonna play bass or I'm gonna do something in a band. And um, I had played bass in like hardcore bands and stuff, but like for a while, I didn't do it at all. I just played, you know, played at home and I played, you know, and I played bass to like write songs for, for Edna's, but, um, Edna's Goldfish kind of at the end of that summer was like, we're, we're kind of going to just call it a day in October, have a few patchy shows here and there. I ended up playing bass for Step Lively. This is like a kind of weird thing that I hadn't thought about in a, a really long time, but, um, we did a small east coast tour where i played bass and the drummer was a drummer f- who became a drummer for the reunion show and the singer mark was who played you know became singer keyboard player of reunion show and wow. some of the songs that they were playing at the time were moving away from ska so i, I was really like kind of in between both so i was like playing bass on their ska songs and on these like kind of newer like rock songs and the three of us were like well why don't we just do a different band like the, the three of us and the other guys were like not interested in doing a band. So we were like, fuck it. Let's when Edna's Goldfish is done, let's just start doing this other thing. And that's kind of how the reunion show came to be. We, I mean, and then we added Derek, our guitarist and he was like, I mean, he was just like just out of high school. So that was his first experience. And like, it was like watching myself, you know, years before that I was like it was like seeing the the whole thing happen over again but with Derek which was kind of cool
4: but I've always wondered like I remember when the reunion show started and then you shifted into into teching oh that was 2003
5: was it it was a concurrent with it I, I never I just never give my you know what it is man like I never give myself a break like I can't this right now this pandemic has been the longest break I've had from any music related work in, since I've been an adult. Since oh, 100%. I was, yeah. Like I've, I mean, either been in, it was an Edna's goldfish. I was very briefly touring as a tour manager slash merch person for the pilfers. That was my first touring experience as a crew person. Then I went straight into reunion show and then straight, I mean like a month after reunion show, after I quit, I started a tour yeah I started a, my first tour as a guitar tech and I just and then from that was it and then the first time I got paid as a guitar tech I was like why the fuck haven't I been doing this since the beginning I was like, <laughs> I'm actually making money now <laughs> why why was I why was I a musician for so long
4: I mean it sucks who was that first gig uh doing tech for
5: uh for Brand New
4: can you work, walk us through all the bands that you've done tech work for? I know like half of them, I think.
5: Yeah, I I, I did uh, the first band was brand new. Then I moved on to working for um, Motion City Soundtrack. And Motion City Soundtrack became the first band that I worked for long term because I did I did brand new, and then I did like some like um, one off stuff here and there with like some other bands. But then Motion City, I was with them from two thousand four until 2009, really, like, on, on and off towards the end. And then, you know, I, I did stuff with them last year, which is crazy to think that I toured in 2020, but I did. Um, yeah, I, I, so I did Motion City. Then I actually, at one point, I, in 2006, I quit. I was like, I'm quitting touring. I'm done. I'm going to get a job. I was living in Chicago. I'm like, I'm going to get a job. Uh, at a venue i was working at a not the roseland what the hell is it called the big the really big ballroom why am i the aragon ballroom okay so i was like working at the aragon ballroom no touring no anything i I did that for like eight months and then i get a call from my friend dan who was tour managing fallout boy and he was this is november of 2006 and he was like do you want to?" Come on tour as a guitar tech fallout boy. And I'm like, and they were like huge at the time. And I was like, dude, I don't know if I could do that, man. Like, I don't, my experience isn't like clubs and like van tours and shit. And um yeah, I ended up doing that. And dude, 2006 to here it is, 2021, I still work for those guys. And I've been teching. I mean, and in between that, I mean, I worked for a bunch of bands. I worked for Primus. I worked for. Anthrax, Guns N' Roses, just a ton of. Some forty-one, you know. Seal. I worked for Seal. <laughs>
4: <laughs> were, you, were you working? Were you working for Seal when when uh, Izzy was playing with him
5: No, no. I wish because I, I really like Izzy a lot. He's a really fucking yeah. good dude. Um, I, I actually no, but the drummer for Seal is a guy named Jared Shavelson. Who um, he is also the drummer for Boy Sets Fire and uh none none more black (laughs) yeah like like just the craziest thing. he's in a band now called ways away which i i I love ways away um and he's one of those he uh, he was in a hope conspiracy like like crazy right like and meanwhile he's up there playing like kiss from a rose you know um it's 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 so funny like how you meet those people now whether they're from the punk world sky world um all that stuff like Yeah, that stuff, for me, I can't do that full-time anymore. I can't be in a full-time band. dude. I'm almost, I'm 44 years old. I can't, I'm not starting another band that I'm going to be like, I'm going back in the van and
4: with the kids and, you know. Well, the cool thing that I've I've noticed is, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, you guys played, Edna's played a festival, like a reunion show. Mm -hmm. And I remember when that happened, I remember just being so mad because I was like, dude, Edna's doing a reunion. Like, and that was like (laughs) part of like, me wanting to get link 80 to do a reunion. Like I was just like, fuck dude, come on. Everybody's doing it. We've done three. <laughs> we've done three reunions at this point we did Okay. in
5: 2005. Um, we did uh, Vinny's brother um, James, who's since uh, he's since passed away. He, um, he, at the time he had, he was going through cancer treatments and uh, you know, we were just kind of like, let's, let's do a show let's do a benefit and get you know get some money james's way help him pay for his you know medical bills and so that was the first time we did um a reunion ended in semi-tragedy when uh during veronica sawyer chris baldwin swung around his base smashed me in the head and uh, (laughs) split my ear open and i was pouring blood everywhere couldn't finish the song because I was just literally just pouring blood out of my ear, I, I, had, I ended up going to the hospital and getting stitches, um, which really sucked. I, I, I have a scar in my ear from that, which it's like funny now, but
4: yeah, at that's the time, serious.
5: Was, at the time, I was like, "Fuck this guy!" And actually, and you know, I didn't talk to him for years, and he was like, "I was like, he's a fucking mess." I'm like, you know, like we're doing this show; we're supposed to be you know, doing this good thing for Vinny's brother and like you're hammered and just swinging your bass around. and Oh yeah, that sucks. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of uncool. I had, you know, I hadn't seen him in a while. We just did the rehearsals and then just did the show and whatever. Uh, it took, it took a while before uh, we spoke again. And then we spoke, everything was cool. And we did 2009, we did, um, what's that? Uh, the Bamboozle Festival in yeah. New Jersey. That was the first, like that one was like the big one, because it was like, holy shit, it's a festival crowd here, and like we borrowed all of Bayside's gear because we were just friends with the band Bayside. And we're just like, yeah, you're playing after us, so like, can we just use your backline? And Fall Out Boy was headlining that stage, so it was like perfect for me. I was like, all right, we'll play second or third in the day. Um, I'll have time to like to chill out, and then I'll go work, you know.
3: So did, um, did Fallout Boy come and see play in your band?
5: Oh yeah. I, there's, there's, fo- there's photos of Pete, there's photos of Pete coming out on stage, bringing me water with like a towel over his arm. Like he's like a waiter. <laughs> and there's like all these photos of those dudes, like standing on the side of the stage. We had, dude, we had our, we had Fall Out Boy's uh, sound guy, Kyle, who was uh, at the time was a their front of house engineer. He, uh, he did sound for us that day. So it sounded great. We had like our monitor engineer fall up with like work. I had everybody working for free, you know? Uh, So I was yeah. like making sure everything was like tight, making everything sound right, you know? And it was, it was fun. It was, and it was like these guys, you know, they knew me. I knew those guys because of the reunion show, but they'd never seen me do my scoffing. So like, they were like, they loved it. I'm out there. I'm like my, yeah you know, my Fred Perry and my, you know, like doing my, I'm like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a ska guy for real. Like, this is it. So
3: the, um, we know we've established that, uh, animal chin is popular amongst uh fallout boy. Um, oh yeah. Uh, was that, was that it for them in the ska world or did they have other, did they like Scott uh,
5: otherwise? I mean, I think they liked it as far as like their local scenes went, maybe not Andy, the drummer so much, but, uh, I know, I, mean, I know Patrick did. I think he's just like, you know, they they were from the Chicago suburban band. So they probably, I mean, and at, at, of the time, you know, when they were coming up in the late 90s, early 2000s, like there was plenty of bands from that area. So I'm sure they crossed paths with a lot of them, whether they liked them or not is uh, you'd have to ask them that. I have no idea. Um, but that was the second show we did. And then the third reunion we did in 2012 at the Gramercy Theater in New York. And that was with Pilfers because they did they did a reunion and they were like and spring Jack did a thing, um, without, obviously without Dave. Um, yeah, that was, uh, and that one was really cool. Um, I've watched videos of it. Um, I got progressively, like insanely drunk before the, like towards the end of the set. So I don't really remember the end of it, but watching videos, I was like, Hey, I was pretty funny. Like, <laughs> it's like, I mean, I was so nervous. I hadn't done it in so long and yeah, it was just crazy.
4: So, I mean, I've noticed that you've been posting a lot of, a lot of ska stuff lately.
5: Yeah. I, I think it's, um it's a, I mean, it's the nostalgia thing. And also like just finding this, this box of stuff that's been, you know, it's made its way from, new york to chicago it's back to new york back to now you know now this box is in la and i opened it up and i'm like you know what i'm gonna finally tackle the task of digitizing this stuff um i have all the time in the world now so yeah i started digitizing these demos and live recordings and these tapes these vhs tapes i've been finding and it's been pretty it's it's crazy. It's like, I I, I equated it to opening a time capsule and being like, I don't remember putting any of this shit in here. Like this is, (laughs) this is wild, you know, like just hearing my voice and, you know, hearing us joking around with each other or just like seeing that kind of like energy again. I don't know. It's just, it just feels really nice. You know, it just feels nice to know that like when I do share it, people are, um, People are genuinely happy about it. And they're like, you know, thanks for posting this. It's like brought me back to like growing up in New Jersey or wherever, you know, and seeing you guys. And it was, it's awesome to, to see it again. So if it's bringing yeah. some people happiness and talking, you know, I'll, I'll keep digging
4: for stuff. For sure. And and I mean, I, I know that you feel like you're too old to start a new band now, but I mean, there's no reason, you know, when we're able to have shows again, you couldn't do one-off shows. with. Oh them.
5: yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I, I just, I, I just can't, I just can't realistically like I, I, I'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna quit everything I do to, to jump in a van and do that again. Absolutely. But you know I yeah you know, I play in a, I rock bands and whatever I just random stuff and I'm like yeah I, I'll I'll do that like I played on Justin from Motion City Soundtrack to his solo record I played bass on that I have my band Knives where I play bass on that you know so it's like I'm I'm being musical and I'm keeping that going and we always taught i mean like i always talk to the endless dudes and we're, whoever i have contact with still which is pretty much everyone except for mike the drummer i just, just don't have his phone number but um so nice is your is your new thing that's a, okay so the, yeah that's a band that i do with two other guys who are also techs for uh, you know they were techs with fallout boy and at one point they were working with lincoln park but like those dudes um ben and warren you know like that was just like born out of us just being around each other all the time. And just like, Hey, you know, you play drums, he plays guitar and I play bass. Let's just play music. And Ben wrote a lot of it. It's very nineties rock kind of, you know, but mm-hmm. it, it's, it's cool. I mean, it's like what, you know, I spent, I, this is what I've been spending all my time since March doing it, like, you know, s- since it was deemed safe for people to be in a room together again, um, you know, me, then and well not warren anymore because warren just moved to london so uh
4: we have no drummer <laughs> so uh but you know you guys are doing like a virtual thing with the matches aren't you we
5: are we're doing it's a little acoustic thing me and um we we did one before it's basically for that matches um yeah that documentary yeah that uh chelsea did so yeah yeah we, we, we did one before that was like a a private stream, but I think this one's actually like open to just YouTube stream. So oh, that's, that's cool. on Saturday or then, whatever. Doesn't, that's I mean, nothing. who knows That me? means nothing in podcast <laughs> recording time. <Yeah. laughs> uh-huh. It's on Saturday. Okay, sure, cool.
4: In defense of ska, will return in a moment.
2: Hey, everybody! It's Barry from the What Podcast.
0: Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo twenty twenty four. These are GA plus, and they include camping. Russ,
2: how would people get qualified?
1: We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup.
2: Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.
4: The other thing I've always, I've always wondered about with all the bands that you, you tech for I mean, mm-hmm. you checked for Guns and Roses and Anthrax, which is like insane to me. <laughs> and and uh, I've always wondered has has your ska past ever come up with any of these bands? A, or? a thousand percent. The first, actually, the one of, one of
5: the first people that came up with, well, I mean, with all the smaller bands that we were like, I was friends with previously. Obviously, like the Fall Out Boy guys and all those guys, they knew about that. Right. But the first person where I was like, oh man, this is like someone who I grew up listening to who now knows about my band um i was working for garbage and um eric avery from jane's addiction is the bass player yeah and uh he was he followed me on instagram and he i must have posted something like an old photo or whatever Mm -hmm. and we're we're in europe and he's sitting next to me on a plane and it's it's eric i'm like fighting through this to be like Hey, you know, I kind of learned to play bass because I wanted to play mountain song. You know what I mean? Like I, I've been listening to you play since the eighties, since the late eighties, you know, like it's crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm friendly with a guy and like, I've worked for his band and he's like, he turns to me, he's like, what is Edna's goldfish? He's like, is this your your old band? And like to hear those words come out of his mouth, I was like, Oh my God, I'm like, what is happening right now? And, uh then we're like in an airport so like i think he downloaded it or something and then like we're in the airport in oslo and like waiting for the next flight or whatever and i you know we had like a layover so i'm like I go to the bar and i have a couple of drinks so i'm like feeling you know, a little loose i come over and like he's like so i listened to it and i'm like dude my face just went beat red i was like flushed from like drinks and like i'm just like hot at this point and sweating I'm like he's like, dude, you got a great voice, and I'm like,
4: yes, Eric Avery said I had a great voice. That's awesome. <laughs>
5: nice. Yeah, but pretty wild.
3: So who else? So who else? Uh, you said it's come up uh, multiple times.
5: It came up with it came up with the Anthrax guys too. Okay, um, because our tour manager knew. I mean, our tour manager didn't know shit about my. He'd never seen my band, but he knew about it. Um, the Sun Forty One guys knew about it too. They 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 were like, they want they really wanted a. They were, they, they were like, they wanted me to sing a song. Oh, I forgot what it was. That was a weird. That was a crazy time touring with those guys. Um, yeah, they knew about it. Like, oh, it's it's come up. And it's always like a thing where someone sees it on like my Instagram or like my Facebook page. like, what is this Edna's Goldfish thing? And tell me more about this. I saw you were in a scout, man. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but it's so, hey, whatever, yeah. you know. It's interesting to me because um, I was maybe a little bit under the impression that being a t- guitar tech for these big bands meant not too friendly, not like in a bad way, just more, you know, it's a big business and, you know, people don't get really a chance to get to know each other. But it does sound like you were able to become friends with these people that you worked for.
5: Yeah, I'm t- I mean, I'm not saying they're my best friends, but like, you know, I there are, there are people like I, I see them and they're just like. You know, it's 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 weird to me. Like, think like, oh, if you told me in nineteen ninety four or nineteen ninety five that one day I'd be walking down the street in L.A. and Shirley Manson would be like Diaz and like come like come and say hi to me, I'd be like, holy shit! How do I know Shirley Manson? Like, that's crazy to me. But like, and like or like, you know, I, I'm sitting here talking to you know, dude from Jane's Addiction, or I'm like talking about culture abuse with. Duff McKagan, you know what I mean? Like
3: Mm -hmm.
5: weird shit like that, where I'm like, that's weird. I'm not, am I friends with these people? Like i don't call them, but if I see them, they're always like, we're happy to see each other. And I've gotten along with, you know, 98% of the people I've worked for. So like the 2% that I don't say, I say I don't get along with, it's just like, I don't know them or, you know, right. But you know, especially with the people that I, I spent a lot of time with, Working for, but also touring with, like Motion City soundtrack, Fall oh Boy. I mean, I toured with those guys. We, you know, we toured when I was in reunion shows, so we knew each other. We were friends before I was working for them, and you know,
3: mm-hmm.
5: and, th- and those guys too. They, I mean, they like Motion City definitely knew about my scott past. It came up quite a bit, <laughs> <laughs> especially because it'd be like you know, every venue we played at would just be like, "Oh, yeah, I've been here, I've been there," you know, like course like i've
4: been everywhere at this point do the motion city soundtrack guys do those guys have ska roots um no 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 not not really i mean they just seem like ska guys to me and not even really um
5: i mean just jesse the keyword player is is, comes from the uh you know various like hardcore punk uh, punk rock like uh the kind of like um Oh my God! What's the label Ant- Anti Era was on? Uh, angel Hair, like that. That uh. Oh, okay. So like that. that. Like that. He like the noise noise rock kind of like yeah. San Diego scene. He was yeah. like part. You know, he was like living in LA. He was going to Jabberjodge like that when he was a kid. That he's like the the punkest of them. And then like Justin and Justin and Josh are very like they from the in like Minneapolis indie rock scene. Like you know you know that thing too. Like if you've been there, like you've been to Minneapolis, you know like has that it's a very specific like i get like replacements you know like town (laughs) it's cool i mean it's cool they they're not connected to that world at all like the sky world at all
4: (laughs) i mean we brought we brought them up before i mean animal chin and and siren six are also from that same area and they they're all kind of informed from that same oh yeah and they're like yeah
5: so like they're friendly with the, the motion city guys and whatever. And, I, and they probably played together back then, but that's probably the only connection I would say they had to any sort of ska thing other than their uh, later day drummer. He was in the band for a while after Tony quit. Um, Claudio Rivera was in a ska band, I think called
1: Flipside
5: out of um, uh, Minneapolis. He was, oh, yeah. the only, he was the only ska connection, but he's like not, <laughs> Not an OG member, so we can't. We, ha- we have to strike that from the record. That's not, that's not a real connection. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you know, we get to, we get to say that all these big bands, you know, Guns and Roses, Primus, they have a Scott connection because of you. I I know they do
5: now, <laughs> whether they like <laughs> it or not. Whether they like it or not, I brought it to their door. You know, I, <laughs> um, Yeah, it. it it, it's interesting. Like I, and I always do like, you know, I'll, I'll I'll bring, I'll bring it up or someone will bring it up at some point. And, you know, there, there are people who, and then in the most unlikely of places, you'll find someone who did, did have a Scott connection. So when I was working, like I said, I worked for seal, um, the guitar player who was not Izzy, uh, mm-hmm. it's a guy named Gus. He, it's old, older, uh, older guy he must have been in his his, almost in his 60s late 50s or 60s uh british dude who was telling me like some of his first tours were like in 1978 1979 and like had you know he was in like a kind of like punky new wave new wavy sort of band that played with the specials and i was like whoa what i was like (laughs) like and he's like telling me about like you know like he's like yeah we know we we play with like this you know like the sex pistols back in the day and like i was like wait wait i'm like you're talking about like the birth of punk rock and you're talking about like the birth of two-tone ska like you were there for that that's fucking crazy and then he was like telling me about being in like a you know a punk band and like living in iceland he's like yeah, and I'm like the only black guy in Reykjavik. So everyone just <laughs> knew me as like Gus the black guy. <laughs> like, wow, that is crazy. I'm like, you lived in Reykjavik in the eighties and like played punk rock. Like what a weird, interesting life. And now you're playing guitar for Seal. Like somehow Seal has attracted all these musicians who are of this like this wild pedigree, you know? But I, I feel like that's like in a in a weird way. Have you know, being part of that scene, being part of the punk rock and ska scene, or whatever, like it just made everyone very adaptable. So they were like, "All right, I'm not playing in my own band anymore. I'm gonna go play for this guy, and make some money, and I'll play whatever. I'll play punk rock. I'll play R&B or whatever. It doesn't matter." So Yeah, it's all it's all music. It's all, yeah, and it's music, and these guys are you know they're insane musicians. They can play anything. Yeah. So, you know.
3: Yeah, I know. We, yeah, we we appreciate you coming on. Um I don't know if you have anything you want to plug or not or I don't know, you know anything you want to say at the end.
5: Um no, I mean I have nothing to nothing to plug. I've mentioned I think I've at this point mentioned my bands and Oh, what about your photography? Oh, yeah, my photography. yeah. It's another thing I do. Yeah. That became a thing that I started, you know, like really started doing a lot of actually during this downtime. Uh yeah. BrianDSphoto.com. That's uh, where you can see my photography. I do, you know, everything from, well, I, I used to like doing live concert photography, but live concerts aren't a thing that happen anymore. I've been spending a lot of time doing street street photography. And I uh, I was actually shooting protests and stuff for a while when that was like, when things were really heating up here in LA. And um, I did, you know, I, I put out a photo book this year. Um, it's called Hundred Days in Los Angeles um and it you know just kind of documenting the weirdness of the the early stages of the pandemic where things were just like you know it was like a ghost town here
3: is that something that people can get on uh, on online or? Um,
5: it's actually so it's actually out of print it's at 100 days in los angeles 100 days in los angeles.com um i do plan to repress it it's just like so many different projects that i had going on like between that and just trying to stay afloat you know it's hard it's hard like not you know with music being my life and like my livelihood and my career it's hard when that's taken away from me to kind of switch gears so i made like a little bit on the side doing the photo thing but
4: i really like the the photo you have of the cop car on fire yeah Yeah. that's the
5: that's yeah a lot of people like that one (laughs) I actually ended up, I, I you know, I I sold a, I sold a few of those. I, I do prints, and I you know I was doing you know do film and developing at home and printing and the whole thing. And um, I was making prints of that one, and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna donate the money from this to, uh, you know, various civil rights causes. You know, Black Lives Matter. Or, you know, what you know, whatever I saw fit that was benefiting some sort of movement in LA to help these people out. Cause I was like that moment while it was crazy and people saw like, you know, they saw that and they were like, well, that's a fucking cool, you know, ACAB man, like the cop, fuck the (laughs) cop, you know, Um, at the same time, it was kind of an, I mean, I was there for the whole March and the protest and there was kind of a a weirdly, almost like an unnecessary moment that was like an unnecessarily destructive moment Mm -hmm. that, kind of put a, a put a bad mark on the entire thing so i was yeah. like well we need to something it was positive and then it became negative let's like try to pull something positive out of it and i was like let's just you know i'll i'm gonna i'll sell these you know this batch of prints of this for x amount and i'll do- donate you know 75 percent of it i mean i have to make printing costs and whatever but right i was like you know and people snapped it up and then the next thing i did was the book and i did the book with another print that was from that i mean and i have a whole series of stuff that you know i was hoping hoping to do more with but i just just i have the time but i just don't have the money yeah <laughs> wish it was I just wish it grew on trees but it just does not <laughs> <laughs> turns out doesn't it <laughs>
3: Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you haven't already, subscribe to my Substack at aaroncarnes.substack.com. And if you'd like to pre-order my book In Defense of Ska, go to Clashbooks.com. It releases on May 4th, 2021. And on that note, we leave you by saying Ska now more than ever. Thank you.